Tell you what, it's pretty easy to preach after music like we've had this morning. <clears throat> you, what a blessing to be here. Uh, it's amazing to see what God is doing uh, in the years since I uh, graduated. Uh, the Lord's doing some great things here at Baptist College of Ministry. And I owe a lot uh, to this ministry, to Pastor Van Geldren, uh, to this church, to this college, uh, which... Uh, put in me a fire for doing what I'm doing now, even though when I was sitting where you were, I had no idea I was going to be starting a church. But all the principles were put there in seed form, and uh, that seed was planted, really, while I was here at Baptist College of Ministry, been on staff uh, in the college, um, or sorry, in the church, in the ministry, working in the, in the academy, and just being part of the ministry. God put in my heart, I knew when I came in as a freshman, that God had called me to preach. I knew that, and to pastor as well. Uh, and just in the time I was here, that burden became an overpowering passion. And God opened the door for me to go down to um, uh, Fellowship Baptist Church and serve there. And I remember just two years into uh, our time there, Pastor Hager challenged me. He said, have you ever prayed about church planting? And he would planted a church uh, many years ago, and had uh, pastored it from infancy to from scratch, been there for 18 years, passed it off, and uh, when he came down to the church there in South Carolina, he was determined that that church was going to be a church-planting-minded church. So he had sent out, uh, before I went out of there, uh, already four church planters um, in the 18 years that he was there, and he challenged me, Nathan, you need to pray about it. He said, I want you to pray about taking an existing church and pray about starting your own and see what God will do. So my wife and I prayed over the next two years, and intensely, the more we began to, to realize, you know what, I think the Lord may be opening the door for church planting and ministering in a way that we <laughs> did not originally plan on. And as we prayed and sought the Lord, the Lord opened the door, and the rest has been history. We moved up to... Uh, Illinois, which that in of itself, how do you move and get an apartment to rent with no income? Who will approve a loan like that <laughs> uh, or, or, a, or a lease agreement? The Lord worked out all kinds of miracles, provided a place uh, large enough for us, convenient. We were able to go on deputation from the state of Illinois. Most of our support comes from Illinois. And Falls Baptist Church is one of our supporting churches. Many of you get our prayer letter and uh, pray for us, and I thank you so much for that. And by the way, before I forget, I will have, I'll be with you for lunch. Um, if you would like a prayer card, uh, I've got plenty to pass out. If you would like to get our prayer letter, uh, I've got uh, a clipboard, and I can sign your email up there, and I can email that out to you. Out to you. I send them out once a week. But uh, within one year, we had raised our support, and that year was intense planning, and we started uh, a year ago, last October, God did some great things, <clears throat> and uh, we've had people saved, baptized, added to the church. Uh, I think it was, we've had uh, 32, 33 souls saved now in the last 13 months, and um, most of those souls, I'd say at least half, put it that way, or just over, are still in the church, and uh, many of those have been baptized, and some of those who are adults have been, become charter members. It's not been easy at all. It's very difficult, but it's the most uh, joyous venture I've ever been on in my life. I can't imagine doing anything else. It's the most rewarding thing that we have ever done. And so 
please keep praying for us. On an average Sunday morning, um, our average right now for the fall has been uh, 53. That's not really what we see every, every week. Once a month, we have a special day. Uh, well, usually food is involved, and most of our people are very unchurched people, so faithful church attendance is not regular. So we have a very large group of people that come every other week or every other month. So when they all show up for food once a month, we could have potentially 70 or 80 people. Uh, normally we have about in the mid-40s, but God's been doing a great, great work in just the short time that we've been there. Uh, I'd like you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 28 and Ephesians 4, both passages you could quote to me by memory. Every last one of you could, I know it. But I want to uh, preach a a two-part message here and uh, put before you the matter of church planting. And folks, don't turn me off here. Don't say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I don't think that God's called me to church planting. Um, That's just for the few uh, guys or girls here who think the Lord might be leading them here. No, folks, every one of you in this room are to be a part of church planting in some way. So let's engage here from the beginning and say, Lord, show me what you want for me, what is to be my part in reproducing churches autonomous, uh, Baptist churches. Uh, <clears throat> just before we reread Matthew 28, 19, and 20, uh, I would like to just uh, put a few things out to you uh, to give you some perspective. Folks, this uh, Baptist movement that we are in was started in church planting. It has been sustained in church planting. And folks, Uh, This Baptist movement we are in, in some degree, has been struggling over the last couple decades. And do you know why? It's because our church planting has slowed. I think there's a lot of different reasons, and I'm not going to go into all those right now. But folks, the independent Baptist movement which shaped this nation, which if it were not for the Baptists, we would not have the religious freedom we have today, folks. Uh, If it were not for the Baptists, folks, this world would be different. We have so many freedoms because of that Schubel Stearns church planting revival at the beginning of this nation. I think 2,000 churches in in 100 years, something like that. Phenomenal growth which shaped our our nation. And folks, churches have forgotten that every church is to be a reproducing church. We've forgotten that. Uh, we, We know that we're supposed to be reproducing individuals, but folks, we are to be reproducing churches. And you say, wait, no, 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 no. That's just for the big churches like Falls here. Uh, That cannot be for my church in my hometown. You don't understand. We're in a rural community. community. Uh, We're a small church. Uh, We we, we couldn't have a part. No, every church can be a reproducing church. You know what, folks? My brother's church who helped us start First Baptist of Woodridge, they have 50 core people. They're running about 75 on a Sunday morning, but they've got about 50 core people. With that group of 50 people, without giving me a single couple, sacrifice offering of $10,000 and hundreds of hours of labor, maybe even in the thousands, folks, that church quadrupled, doubled in size. Our church, our core group, is almost what his is in one year. How many local churches are doubling in size 
every year. Not many. It does not take a lot of people or a lot of finances. It does take a lot of commitment. But folks, we can see a great movement. Folks, the Baptists are not being defined anymore by our church planting as a movement. You know who are? Sadly, the New Evangelicals. And they are taking it as this is this great commission. I feel like Paul. I don't agree with the New Evangelicals, but <clears throat> hallelujah, Christ is being preached, and at least the gospel is going out some way. But in my city of, of <clears throat> Chicago, um, as I have been studying church planting, there is a new church planting method started in, in uh, Naperville <clears throat> and uh, called the New Thing Church Planting Network. They are very New Evangelical, doctrinal, uh, all kinds of errant doctrine. But, folks, what they are doing puts us as Baptists to shame. Within three years, they doubled every year. Uh, within three years, this church planting organization starts a new church every 11 days. These are not small churches. Uh, they start small, and then they blossom, and they, they become huge. Part of it is because they are super pragmatic, very worldly, and very shallow, many of them. Uh, in fact, probably most of them. <clears throat> Will it endure? Likely not. But it's a sad thing, folks, when, when they uh, start up a church, as I've talked to different people that have, uh, are familiar with this movement, they'll say, okay, we're starting a church in Texas. They'll put the word out to their churches and say, we're starting a church. People will pray about it. Say, please pray. Businesses, men will sell their businesses. God wants us to move there. They will sell their homes, move, start with a nucleus of, of people. Boom, just like that. Boom, boom, boom. They got people in the pipeline. They are just pushing out. And they say, we are not about planning churches. We're about planning churches that start churches from the very beginning. And oftentimes, these churches are starting churches within just a couple of years. <clears throat> Folks, I'm going to hold up for you some great examples, present-day examples of Baptist churches doing the same thing. But it's not the norm. It's not the norm. And it should be. And let's look at the uh, scriptural... A basis for church planting. Look at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Christ says, go ye, and he doesn't qualify that. This is everyone, every Christian. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. First of all, first point, you have a command to participate in church planting. <clears throat> it's a threefold command. In the Great Commission, the first step is go ye and teach. What is that? Evangelism. Evangelism. How can you have a church with unredeemed people. No, you've got to go out and bring the gospel to where they are into the whole world and preach the gospel so that men can be saved. Every one of you are responsible to be bringing the gospel to the lost. Go to them. Uh, don't you know, a, lot, a lot of this uh, church planting method that the new evangelicals do is all about creating uh, a worship experience, their worship team is vital. The music aspect, they say, is vital to their, their product. And it's all about this entertainment model. You build the, your, your, your entertainment system large enough and you'll get a crowd. It's all about drawing people in. 
And folks, the scripture teaches us we are to go to them. We bring the gospel to them, to the four corners of the world. We are to go and teach. What is this that we're teaching? Mark 16, 15 says, it qualifies it a little bit, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, what will build your church is the preaching of the gospel. I love that it qualifies it this way because in, in Matthew it says teach. And teaching is extremely important. But folks, the preaching of the gospel is powerful. It has a power that's even greater than one-on-one. And I'll explain it in, in, in a moment here. Preaching will build your church. Not programs. Programs may attract some, but the preaching of the gospel. Why? Because it's what we need. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ died for our sins, uh, was buried and rose again. That has implications for the lost man and for the saved man. Folks, listen, you want to build a church, young men. You know what you need to understand is how can I proclaim the gospel? Uh, proclaiming the gospel to the lost and proclaiming the gospel to the saved is what builds a church. Don't forget it. A lot of people are looking to everything but nowadays. Even a lot of the young Baptists kind of looking across the fence at the others who seem to diminish the gospel, hype the programs, and seem to be mushrooming all these churches all over the place. Folks, that's, those, those, those movements are not going to last. Their doctrine is as shallow as can be. <clears throat> it's not going to last. It's a great business model. Some souls are being saved, and I rejoice in that. But ministries that will last preach the gospel. It offends some, but it saves many others. Uh, <clears throat> so the first aspect is evangelism, bringing the gospel to the lost. That's your great commission. So wait a minute, but I'm a girl. Folks, that's, ladies, that's, you have a part in that. But wait a minute, but, but, I'm, but I'm single. Folks, you have a part in that. <clears throat> Baptism is the second aspect. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. Folks, that's where the Great Commission introduces church planting. Baptism is not just the first step of identification with Christ. It's a twofold identification. It's an identification with Christ and his body, locally represented. <clears throat> we had one lady in our ministry down there in South Carolina who accepted Christ. <clears throat> and I remember she said, uh, she had the battle. Am I now going to become one of those weirdos? <laughs> It's a, a two-way identification. Uh, it's one thing to say, Lord, I have received you in the quietness and privateness of my own heart. And then the Lord says, okay, you want to grow? You better publicly identify with me because I was publicly shamed for you. And be willing to publicly identify yourself with the body of Christ. And folks, that's where the gospel becomes even more powerful. And what is the church, folks? The assembly. So what does evangelism do? We bring the gospel to the lost. What does baptism do? It brings the saved into an assembly. 
It establishes and organizes otherwise individuals who are spiritually connected to Christ but not necessarily an organization until they join uh, an independent, autonomous, New Testament Baptist church. Well, this is church planting, folks. That is church planting. How do you go into all the world? They can't all be the member of the church in Jerusalem. You have to start a new one where they're baptized into a local assembly there. The church planting uh, command is right there. We do not win people to Christ to leave them there. They must. That's that's the whole purpose of discipleship. Get them into the church. So you bring the gospel to the lost, you bring the saved to the assembly, and folks, uh, if, a, if a lost or if a saved person will not take that first step of baptism, I'll pursue a lost man to the end of the world. But a Christian who refuses to identify with the assembly, I'm not going to waste my time. There's too many others I've got to go after. If they will not commit pretty quickly to coming to church. I'm not going to bring church to them. That is not church. Assembly is coming to believers, not me taking church to you. So I will pastor who God brings to me, and I will pursue them to a point. And then I will continue to pray and then seek after those who are hungry, who do want to be discipled. Uh, You have to have that local assembly. Folks, it's powerful, guys. Get this. I have been discipling. Discipling needs to feed the preaching. If you can get people to be committed to coming to church, they'll make decisions in church they'd never make with you one-on-one. Especially you guys are young. I'm young and I look even younger. So while I'm sitting there and speaking to a 50-year-old man, proclaiming to him what he needs to do in his marriage and such, he can kind of think, I've been around the block a lot more. And certainly, I respect everyone in my church. Their age, I respect them. They've got a lot to teach me in a lot of ways. But biblically speaking, folks, as I proclaim to them uh, the truth, one-on-one, God does use it. Discipleship is powerful. You know what's even more powerful? When they'll commit to come to church and you preach and they see the power of God in your life, it has nothing to do with volume or antics. There is something about coming into the assembly and sitting with the other group of believers who we are becoming mutually, um, mutually uh, accountable to one another. Yeah. Yeah. And they're hearing this, and they're seeing others make the decision, and the Holy Spirit works in their heart in a way that, wow, they made that decision. Why didn't they make that before? I've been trying to teach that one-on-one forever. But they finally made it in church. Baptism is the place in which you incorporate people into the church. Discipleship is the next aspect, ongoing. The reproducing side, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things, this great commission and everything else. Everything I've commanded you, and then this begins to repeat and repeat and repeat, and they go out and win souls, and they bring them in, and we keep bringing them in, and we keep going out. We keep starting more assemblies. That is the church planting model. The Great Commission is not just about evangelism, folks. Do you see it here? It's about church planting. Well, I'd like to make some applications here. We're going to swing now to Ephesians uh, chapter 4. And really the rest of the message is going to have to do with application.
<clears throat> so we've seen you have a command to participate in church planting, evangelism, baptism, discipleship. Secondly, you have a part to play in perpetuating church planting. Remember the Lord said in Matthew 28, go ye. How do we do this? I'd like to go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. It's talking about the church. I love the book of Ephesians. I've preached through a lot of parts of it already in our church. I love it. Uh, Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The church is built upon, we find, the apostles and prophets. We know that from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Turn back a page. It says, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The prophets and the apostles uh, uh, preach Christ. The church is built on the doctrines of Christ. Every doctrine has to do with Christ. It's all about him. It's all about a relationship with the Lord and making him known. It's all about Christ. And the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation. And folks, I really do think, I know some people don't like to um, uh, make too much out of the word order here, but I think word order is important, especially in a matter like this. And I think we can take some applications from the word order. He gave some... Uh, apostles and some prophets, they laid the foundation and some evangelists. How do you have a church? Okay, I've got the apostles and prophets. I have got the living word in the written word. I've got it. I want to build my church on it. How do I do it? Put up a sign and say, come on in. No. Let's go back to that great commission. I've got to take it and go to the lost world. What is that? That's the evangelism, right? And who is it taking the gospel to the lost? It's evangelists. Is it not? We all have a huge part to play in evangelism, do we not? We already learned that. But folks, I have seen this. I've had three uh, evangelists, actually more than that, uh, at least four evangelists already take part in helping our church get started and then uh, deepening it. Evangelist Dave Barber came out to help us do a phones program uh, and uh, canvassing and helped us in those early days with the little core that began to assemble with the phone calls, hearing about he was helping to challenge the people, preparing them for that open, opening day, discipling us, preparing us. Uh, his ministry was crucial. We would have fallen on our face. You can only start once, folks. Don't rush that opening thing. You had better plan. You had better plan and plan and plan and work and work and work. <clears throat> There's a time for prayer, and you pray all the way through it, but it takes a ton of work. So God used that evangelist who started. Folks, you are sitting in a place where Dave, uh, Brother Dave Barba started this ministry right here, right where you're sitting. <clears throat> Evangelists have a unique gift, I've seen it, folks, to assemble people to hear the gospel. They have a unique gift. I've seen it over and over and over. And nowadays, folks, we have gotten away to a degree from, uh, nowadays in the last 50, 40 years, we think of an evangelist as a fifth wheel trailer, and hallelujah for fifth wheel trailers, to keep you from losing your family, 
like many evangelists used to. <clears throat> um, but traveling around from church to church, established churches. Evangelists nowadays do very, very little of starting churches. And doing their best trying to revive dead churches when they could actually do a lot to help new churches get started. But for some, they would see it as a step down. It's also very fearful. Folks, really, who knows about Dave Barba and fundamentalism? Not a lot. But you know what? He's having a huge impact. My brother John ran into an evangelist. I forget his name. Ran into an evangelist. He's been in evangelism for 67 years. John had never heard of him. He started 100 churches. Some of those that he started and pastored passed off. Others he just came alongside and helped. And he said, if God permits me, I'm going to continue to do this to the day I die. Nobody may know him here, but heaven's going to ring. <clears throat> when he, he comes and people running up to him, thank you for reaching me with the gospel. We need evangelists who will say, you know what, maybe God wants me to start a church before I launch my evangelism. Or maybe, maybe God would use that to launch my evangelism. Um, a number of you folks know um, dear evangelist Gary Gilmore, powerful man of God, humble, doesn't necessarily run among the huge churches, and so some evangelists may not think he's that influential. He has powerful influence. And folks, you know how we started and thought, if I'm going to minister to uh, pastors and to churches, you know what? I think God would have me start one so I know what it's all about. So I know the pastor. So I, I know what the pastor goes through. He started the church, and folks, within less than five years, they were running 350 people. And he doesn't brag about this. You have to pull this information out. 350 people in about five years paid for a building. He won most of those people to Christ himself and then moved on. Many evangelists have started that way in humble beginnings, risking eternal obscurity. What happens if I don't, if I don't see this church planted? Oh, man, then I'm stuck here. If God wants you to do it, if you're an evangelist, he'll open the door. Every evangelist wrote into it is different. Guys, if you know you're, you are called to be an evangelist, pray about this. Pray about this. <clears throat> God can use you. Um, time is a flying away. But Philippians, I'm sorry, Acts, we find the one man we have given, uh, Acts chapter 8, uh, the title of an evangelist is Philip. <clears throat> he started out as a deacon, and then, man, he hit the ground running. And God used him powerfully. Acts chapter 8, <clears throat> verses... Uh, verse 5, it talks about, says, And Philip went down and preached to the city of Samaria. Samaria. Those outcasts, he goes down and preaches Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed to those things which Philip spoke. And um, he basically, he started a church there. Uh, it was amazing. Verse 12 says, But when... When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. We know that secret word, baptism, what does that mean? He established a church. You don't just baptize people and leave them. He was baptizing people as the first Baptist church, we'll call it, of Samaria. He started it. 
And Peter and John found, heard about this. Wait a minute. Has the gospel really come to Samaria? We need to see this. They come down. Sure enough, God's here. They lay their hands on them, and they're filled with the Spirit. And now we've got a Spirit-empowered local assembly. Uh, Philip goes on and uh, preaches the gospel to the eunuch later on in, in that chapter. Or in the book of Acts, we find Philip one more time in Acts chapter 22. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Let's see. Uh, the, chapter 8 ends, it says, But Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. 20, uh, cha- 20 years later, in Acts chapter 22, we find him still there. Still there in Caesarea. Um, you can turn there if you'd like. Verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> chapter 22, verses 8 and 9. Is that correct? Let's see here. <clears throat> or is it 21? 21, thank you. <clears throat> it says, The next day, we that were of Paul's company departed, came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. So he's got... Daughters who are powerful witnesses. What was he doing there? Was he maybe on staff, so to speak, of a church as their staff evangelist? Possibly. Was he pastoring the church? Possibly. Folks, as as an evangelist, I really believe you guys have a lot of flexibility to come in and out of the pastorate as God would open doors. We find that. uh, We've got a relative of uh, Dr. John R. Rice. He started as, a, as, a, as an assistant pastor, a pastor, went into evangelism, then started the Galilean Baptist Church, uh, pastored it for seven years, and people were clamor, clamoring for him, please come back, out of evangel- uh, back into evangelism. We, we want your gift, and he, he went back out. Folks, why were people like that so powerful? Why could they be such a, a, a help to so many pastors? Because they'd been one. Not to say that an evangelist has to be a pastor to... Uh, to be able to have something to give. That's not the case. And I don't want you to get come away with that. But folks, there is great power. If you've already planted a church, man, you can help with practical experience other church planters. When you've walked through it, uh, it ought not to be, I mean, there's that character, you know, evangelists blow in, blow up, and blow out. That ought not to be. Often that comes from immaturity. And men who have no idea what it's like to start a church and labor with sweat, blood, and tears. And then an evangelist, on occasion, most evangelists are not like this, so I'm not painting with a broad blush, but where often a young guy will come up and say very damaging things in a fleshly way and destroy the church. Often comes from inexperience and having really no idea what the ministry is all about. But folks, evangelists can have a huge part to play. This man was foraging, and the apostles were following after here they are, apostles. He goes off to Caesarea. Then they, Peter uh, follows him up there. He's just foraging, starting churches and leaving them behind. The evangelist often will start churches and move on, either into evangelism or to start another. Pastors have a different way, and <clears throat> often. Let's look at some positive examples there, and I'm going to have to let you go. <clears throat> look back at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, it says he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists who helped these churches get started. 
uh, helping to uh, assemble people. Uh, And then some pastors and teachers, the guys who dig in and stay for the long haul. The guys who now hopefully create a pipeline for more church planters going out. The guys who construct the system. This is crucial. Pastors then can be the help help to be the mentors of future church planters. Um, Pastors can be church planters. I'm finding that that to be true. I never thought I I could do it. I certainly couldn't do it on my own. I needed the evangelist's help. But pastors can and are to do the work of the evangelist. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. There's only, I think, two, two times the word evangelist is used. One is here to fill up. The second is applied to Timothy. Timothy, get out there and do that work of the evangelist. And guys, whether you are starting a church or whether you are pastoring an existing church, you had better be doing the work of the evangelist. And I know what it's like to get into a busy ministry as an assistant pastor and even as a church planter and get so busy, I don't have enough time to focus on souls as I should. I know what it's like as an assistant pastor to get rusty. So I was actually afraid to go out. And folks, while there's always a certain sense in which the fear, uh, the flesh fears to go out, folks, if you're dominated by fear, you've not been doing it enough. Because if you are trusting the Lord, you have such confidence in that, it really dwarfs the fear. I've got a faithful man God's given me. Uh, comes out soul winning every single week unless he's sick or out of town. And he says, I cannot let more than one week go by where I'm not out because I know the fear of man starts to creep back in and it's absolutely true. As a church planter, you can't be just once a week. You've got to be out there multiple times during the week. You've got to be hitting it, getting the gospel out there. We're to do the work of the evangelist. And guys, you can, if God calls you, if God calls you to plant a church, you can do it if you'll do the work of the evangelist. And if you'll learn to preach and build your, 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 your church preaching the gospel, <clears throat> you can do it. And as you uh, dig in there, uh, you, your church can become a pipeline for church planters, much as this church has been. Uh, in my area, I just came across a man I'd never heard of. I wish I'd heard of him sooner. 90-year-old pastor in Chicagoland. Have any of you heard of Dr. Vernon Lyons? Okay. How many of you have heard of Bethel Baptist of Schaumburg? Okay. <clears throat> Dr. Vernon Lyons uh, came to Chicago uh, back in 1951 and started the Ashburn Baptist Church. He's been pastoring it for the last 63 years. He's not the primary pastor now, but he's still there. He's in his 90s. <clears throat> and during that time, he pastored, or he helped to start 38 churches. My brother John ran into him at the Bill Rice Ranch. His wife has dementia. And he saw this couple back all by themselves because he's feeding his wife, spoon-feeding her, and he thought, you know, I want to get to know this man. And he sat down with him and then ate every single meal with him for the rest of the week because this man was just a treasure trove of all kinds of great church planting information. And he said, you know what? He said, for a pastor, he said, a lot of pastors who think that they're going to start a church and then pass it off and then move on and start a church and pass it off and move on, that's more of the work of an evangelist. A pastor 
His best bet is to start a church, grow it, train young men, and send them out. And folks, that man has done a lot for, uh, a ton for Chicago. Two of my supporting churches are support, are, were started, First Baptist Church of Burbank. Pastor Ronnie Auger supports me. That church was started by Pastor uh, Lyons. Also, First Baptist Church of Palos Hills. And uh, 30, 38 in total. Uh, and a lot could be said. Dr. Bud Calvert started a church, Fairfax Baptist Temple. Started it 30, over 35 years ago now. But within 35 years, within the first five years, they started their own, uh, their, reproduced their own uh, church, another church. Uh, 35 years later, they've helped to start 75. Folks, if every church was thinking that way, we'd be reaching this world. We'd be experiencing revival. Uh, we would be having quite different elected officials being elected. Why did we elect Republicans back in the 80s and such? Folks, we were still planning churches back then. Why was there a moral majority? It's because Christians like you were being a witness and were sweat, blood, and tears starting churches at great sacrifice and at great risk. But God was blessing their faith, and they were changing this nation. And when we stopped, folks, this nation is going downhill thanks to us. I'm out of time. The third point, you say, well, <laughs> I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. ka <laughs> The last thing I just want to mention to you, you need to study Aquila and Priscilla. Vocational members start churches. You know, <clears throat> um, we need more of that in churches today. Members who will say, you know what, I'll be part. I'll be part of a church plant. That's a great risk. Uproot the family. Go get a job in an area you may not be familiar with. Uh, what happens if the church doesn't make it and I bought a house and I put down roots? That's a lot of risk. But listen, there is immense reward if you will do so. We need that desperately in BCM. We desperately need that. Desperately. And as our graduates go out, I have a church planting friend of mine from another school, much larger. So he's able to put, the, put out the call. Know any new, new graduates in the area? Poof! He had a bunch. Before he started, he had 17 people. He's running 75 today. He's a one-year-old. Started one month before me. Uh, where, but he had some that, I've got another church planting friend of mine, uh, similar situation. Put out the call. People packed up and said, you know what? Uh, I've got a burden for youth ministry. Can I come and be a lay assistant? Packed everything up, moved down. That's a huge risk. That man had multiple people that did that to help form a team. They're running about 90 now, building their first building, and they turn three in March. <clears throat> down in uh, the sticks of downstate Illinois, knocks on 1,000 doors a week. He has to go to drive to 16 communities to find that many. <clears throat> but, folks, people... Draw people. People disciple people. There's only so much a pastor can do by himself. And if we are going to reproduce, it's not going to be just pastors who are passionate about it. It's going to be people in the pew saying, I'll give my children, I'll give myself, maybe I'll sell the business, I'll sell the house, I'll uproot, I'm going to walk by faith, I'm going to help churches get started. Mm -hmm. Folks, we do like that. 
Some of us will fail. Some churches do fail. But you know what? I'm saying the majority don't. We'll see this nation turned around. We better start doing it soon. Please, little homework assignment, read about Aquila and Priscilla. They picked up everything. First they housed the Apostle Paul. Then they packed it all up and traveled with him on his church planting team. Traveling over the sea, over the ocean. Traveling with him and then discipling Apollos who shook the world. So heads bowed, eyes closed. How many of you would say, you know what, the Lord's convicted my heart. Maybe there's some aspect of church planting I've not prayed about. The Lord is calling me to surrender in some way. How many of you preacher boys would say, you know what, God is convicting me. Maybe I've never prayed about church planting, or maybe you have. The Lord's doing something in my heart about church planting. Maybe being that evangelist who starts a church or a pastor who uh, starts a church. Any hands like that? Pray for me. How many of you would say, you know what, maybe the Lord's not called me to be a church planting evangelist or pastor, but maybe I could do something in vocational ministry. Maybe I could come alongside and help. Please pray for me as I seek the Lord. Anyone like that? Lord, you've seen the hearts and the hands, and I pray that you would raise up out of this group of young people a small army who will shake this world as the, your disciples did 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Lord, for what you'll do, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.